welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks for tuning in here for this episode. In just a moment, my conversation with Assemblymember Catalina Cruz, a Queens Democrat who represents District 39 in the New York State Assembly, including neighborhoods of Corona, Jackson Heights, and Elmhurst. We're talking with Assemblymember Cruz about several efforts she's involved with to get aid to her constituents and other New Yorkers, especially immigrant communities within her district and beyond. And we'll talk with her about a number of other key topics as well. Before we get into all that with Assemblymember Catalina Cruz, if you've missed any recent episodes of Max Politics, please do find them wherever you get your podcasts or at the Gotham Gazette website. I've had some really good discussions with a wide variety of guests in recent weeks and months, including State Comptroller Tom DiNapoli, State Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins, and many others, both at the state level and the city level, recently talking with a few different city council members who have oversight of key issues like what's going on with the city jails, the city's resiliency efforts, and much more. We've also had conversations with advocates and experts here on the show, including related to the state's eviction moratorium, the Excluded Workers Fund, resiliency and city planning, and a really interesting recent conversation with Ben Furness, the director of the Mayor's Office of Climate and Sustainability. Many good conversations here on the podcast, so find any or all of those wherever you get podcasts or at the Gotham Gazette website. All right, so Assemblymember Catalina Cruz, welcome. Thank you for having me, Ben. So you represent, according to your website, the most diverse district in the nation. Uh, tell us a little bit just about you and, and your district. I do. As a matter of fact, uh, my neighbors speak more than 150 languages. You know, we have folks from all over the world um, who just call this beautiful community their home. Uh, they're small business owners. They are uh, first responders. They are frontline workers. Um, we also have Elmhurst Hospital. You know, it's a, just a beautiful, beautiful community um, that I am extremely proud to represent. Um, unfortunately, you know, it's also a, a community that has uh, lots of needs and, and very low uh, political um, capital, if you will, because what happens here is that uh, sixty percent of of the uh, of our neighbors were born in another country, and forty percent of them have no voting power, and that's because they are permanent residents, undocumented. They have DACA, they have asylum, or some sort of other non citizenship status that um, definitely, unfortunately, relegates them to almost a second class uh, of citizens, if you will, when it comes time to have their, their needs heard. And this is obviously a district also uh, deeply devastated by COVID-19, hit hard recently by the remnants of Hurricane Ida and, uh, and facing a lot of challenges that you're, you're regularly working on with your colleagues in the state legislature and other, other levels of government. Um, so you had an announcement to that effect earlier this week. You joined Governor Kathy Hochul uh, to announce a new Hurricane Ida relief fund for undocumented New Yorkers. Uh, tell us a little bit about what that is and, and how it happened and, and how people can access that relief. Yeah, I, I'll start from, from the beginning of, of how we actually got this to happen. You know, um, a day or two after Ida hit, you know, we were trying to figure out how do we get 
our neighbors the government resources that means the FEMA money, you know, um, as soon as possible. And the governor's team, DFS, Department of Financial Services, um, and my team teamed up and they came to our office almost every day. And actually they're still there. They come every day. They meet with constituents, uh, screening them to figure out what kind of help they need. They help them apply for FEMA funds. And what we discovered is that approximately half of the people we had seen uh, were undocumented and could not qualify for FEMA help. Because the caveat with FEMA help is that someone under the roof that got destroyed, you know, for lack of a better word, under the house that was affected has to have a social security number. That means even if mom and dad don't because they're undocumented, if the baby in the household does, if the grandma in the household does, then they can get the help. But in a community like mine, you have many households where not a single member of that house has a social security number. And that means that entire family has lost everything and has no one to help them. So when we had to face this, this harsh reality, um, I had to actually sit down. The, the woman that you saw at the press conference, Doña Nancy, uh, who has been a house cleaner for 20 years and who has been paying taxes, and who lost every single one of her belongings except what was on her back literally uh, during the hurricane, um, I had to sit her down and, and give her the cruel news that there was nothing we can do to help her. And so maybe a day after we wrote a letter to uh, FEMA and we copied the governor and it was my colleague, Mikhail Salages, who is um, the chair of our uh, Black and Latino and Asian caucus. And I as the chair of, of um, the New Americans uh, Task Force, we knew that it was our duty to advocate for a policy change. But it couldn't just be a policy change because you and I know that those take forever in the federal government to happen. And so I, I did what every good elected official, what every good politician, frankly, should do and doesn't always, which is um, make noise, not just because it's going to benefit you. And I say this because I could have gone the old route of, let me introduce a bill. Let me wait until we start session next year. Let me allocate some funding and then I get all the glory. But then my people still need help. And so I, I called the governor's team and I said, look, I have this idea. Here's how you can deliver it. Here's how it should work. I just need it done right away because I have people who need it. I don't really care how else, if, if we, if we um, don't end up having a pen and I end up not having that certificate, I just want my people to get help. And her team moved heaven and earth because Ben, you've been around long enough. When was the last time that a sitting governor of the state of New York moved this quickly for people who cannot vote for them? It's happened very fast. I, it's I'm happened very so fast. a little bit surprised, yeah and for people who cannot vote for her. And I think that's the key. This was a humanitarian effort because these people who are going to benefit from this are folks who cannot vote for me, who cannot vote for her, but simply needed the help. I mean, she saw it firsthand. The governor toured these, these communities and saw firsthand that people were not going to be able to survive if we didn't do the right thing. And this was the right thing. And we did it quickly. And now it's $27 million between the city and the state um, that can go to help uh, community members who need to rebuild their lives. And so this is um, a fund being managed by the New York State Office for new Americans uh, and and folks can go to the, the website of that office for more information. I know there's um, 
a hotline and there's various uh, community organizations that are helping to, to spearhead the delivery of these funds as quick as possible. Um, and so more information can be found there through the New York State, uh, the New York State Office for New Americans. And you, you task force, uh, you, you, sorry, you had this task force on New Americans in New York State Assembly. So that was a, a new creation earlier this year, correct? Well, actually, um, it wasn't. It's been around oh, for a okay. few years, but it, it's, it's, it's been active a little bit differently. It took it in a different direction. Um, my colleagues have done a great job of using the task force to do the letter writing and the advocacy and do some research and some policy. But I uh, wanted to go on a listening tour and kind of hear how our state's immigrants were impacted by the existing or lack of resources, especially during COVID. And um, later on this year, we're actually going to release a, a, a couple of legislative proposals that are coming out of that. Um, and I've also used it in instances like this one to advocate for the members of the community who need it. I think. I think one of the most powerful things leg good legislators can do is put their their own political ego aside and just move things. Whoever gets the credit, who cares, Ben? As long as people can get the help. And so, um, very much related is the uh, previously enacted excluded workers fund, uh, sort of similar uh, in theme, which is. Uh, there's not federal aid available for undocumented New Yorkers, so the state uh, decided to act to try to um, help people who haven't gotten aid during the pandemic through a two-plus billion dollar state fund. I've had uh, Assemblymember Carmen De La Rosa on the show before and uh, advocates involved in the creation of the Excluded Workers Fund. Um, you're also the working on making sure that people access that that fund and and sort of where it's at now. How would you assess how that's going now? A month into Governor Hochul's tenure, uh, the program is is up and running. Money's being approved. Um, what's the status of the excluded workers fund? Look, I think one of the things that is key for your listeners to understand is that um, the Cuomo administration didn't do this out of the kindness of their hearts. That to be pushed down the road and and basically shoved into um, in, in, into actually signing on or signing off, if you will, on this fund. Uh, there were several attempts at making sure that it didn't go anywhere, at reducing the, the money, at um, changing or 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 creating the regulations in a way that actually excluded people. But um, I think the the glory goes to the fantastic group of advocates that are part of the few coalition who were relentless in making sure that as many elected officials, as many advocates, as many reporters were covering covering this issue, and that and it would be something that wasn't just forgotten. Uh, when we first, when it first launched, there were lots of hiccups, um, as uh, as there generally are with government programs, but sometimes a little bit more than others. You know, think of what happened with with Iraq. There was a lot of need, but the money just wasn't being released. It's the same thing here. There were people who were applying. I had our first applicant who 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 was actually completed on August fifth was approved two weeks ago. My office has done over 150 applications now um, because we are also doing ERAP at the same time, you know, the rental assistance plus other things. Um, and our first applicant was just approved. You know, we're now going into October. Um, and so I think I will give the credit to, to Governor Hochul for turning around and saying to her team, 
this money needs to get out there because up until she she took office it was it was just delay after the delay and and, and sometimes people would apply and not get the code that they needed and there's nowhere that they could go and and it was just unnecessary bureaucracy to get money out that was already there what we're seeing now is that um, lots of people who needed it had still not applied because they thought that this money was going to last forever. I'll give you an example. My uh, nail technician had been asking me for months after she heard the excluded workers fund was coming. When does it start? When does it start? When does it start? I go get my nails done last Sunday and she tells me she still had not applied. And I almost lost it because I started to realize that even the people who needed it thought the money was just going to be there forever. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the things that I, I urge everyone who's listening, if you know someone who's undocumented, if you, whether it's your friend, your family member, someone at the supermarket, whoever you know that could benefit from this, they need to come forward now. Because even the places like my office who are trying to help people apply, we're book solid for the next three weeks with appointments. Mm -hmm. And that means people are gonna have to either do it on their own, or if they do it and mess up, they might miss on the money and we want them to get the help. When uh, when I discussed it on the program, we had um, Bianca Guerrero from the, from the coalition that had pushed for the fund and then has been monitoring it uh, from Make the Road New York. And I know that uh, a lot of nonprofit groups are involved in helping people to apply. And that now again extends to this this new Ida relief fund, so um, people can, I'm sure, contact your office um, as well as as other other government resources to to try to get help with those applications because it is important, as you said, to make sure to to do it right and to you know have the internet access needed and all of the all the things that go along with those. Um, is it your sense at this point that the excluded workers fund has enough money in it? Uh, is is you know, are there any discussions around any sort of ongoing need? Um, has the economic recovery that's been happening so far hit your district in a way that you're feeling optimistic about uh, people being able to, you know, have their livelihoods back? Look, I think, um, it, am I seeing our economy get restarted a little bit? Yes. But does that mean that the debt that many of these families accumulated because they had nothing to survive on is gone? No. You know, these are folks who are going back to work, are trying to scrape by, are trying to survive, but still owe a lot of money, um, not just in rent, but to family members. I'm sure of that. Um, I, I have seen um, efforts even to publicly ask Governor Hochul to put in additional funds. Uh, there was a reason, there is a reason why when we were all supporting the, the project, the Excluded Workers Fund, um, we were asking for over $3, million, $3 billion. We ended up at $2.1 billion, but we were negotiating for more than that because we knew that there was more need. And so there's absolutely more need. And I'm committed, you know, if, if the time comes when the fund runs out and we realize that we need more money, I'm committed to, to fighting along with the coalition in the same way that we did before because people mm -hmm. need it to survive. You you mentioned earlier the the task force on new Americans that you chair, um, possibly putting forward a report and some legislative ideas for next session in January, without sort of divulging. You know, I know you're going to want to roll this out when you have it fully baked and you're really ready to announce it. But what kinds of issue, you know, what kinds of areas within that focus are we talking about here that you could you could try to address legislatively? Are there 
you know, specific topics within uh, immigration policy at the state level that you're really looking at? Look, I think some of it is budgetary investment and some of it is legislative in nature. And uh, we are looking at issues around um, access to English as a second language, not so much down here um, in, in the more urban city areas, but because this is a statewide task force, they're looking at places where perhaps the only educational opportunity in the vicinity is a SUNY campus. And how do we use some of those campuses to kind of expand um, access to English as a second language in parts that are more rural, where you have um, where you have uh, farm workers, where you have that kind of population that should still be given the opportunity to learn uh, English, but don't have the access to it. We're also looking at issues around uh, cultural competent uh, healthcare and what that looks like, which is something that we saw was very much needed, especially during this time of COVID. Um, and, and we're looking at other issues around economic development and, and just supporting entrepreneurship in, in immigrant communities and not just supporting it in, in the steps of actually opening up the business, but how do we support immigrant communities who already own a business, especially during harsh times? Because I got to tell you, Max, I know a lot of people are very hopeful that um, this in our lifetime, this is the only crisis we're going to face, but it's not going to be. There's going to be some sort of other, whether it's uh, man-made, whether it's nature-made, um, we are going to face some sort of other crisis that's going to hit our economy and we got to be prepared. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's all very interesting. We'll be we'll be following uh, that as it develops, heading into into the next session. Um, so you have one piece of priority legislation that you are hoping the governor will soon sign. You have another piece of priority legislation uh, that you're hoping to see passed in in the future. Uh, tell us about these couple of other priorities: the the Nourish New York act that you want Governor Hochul to sign, the Clean Slate Act that you're hoping to see see passed in the future? So Nourish New York was born out of um, the food desert and the food uh, insecurity issues that we saw get exacerbated during COVID. Uh, my office alone, we provided more than 250,000 meals um, in a six-month period because we closed our office and turned it into a food pantry because there was no other place where people could get food at one point. And Nourish New York, as, as you, you may be familiar uh, with Max, was a pro, an emergency food program that was initially created under the Cuomo administration to connect the farmers whose food was going to waste because there was no one to purchase it in upstate New York to bring it down anymore because there were no restaurants at one point really functioning um, and connect those providers with the food pantries, with the food bank, with the, um, uh, with the places that were helping feed our community. And the problem was that as it often happened with the Cuomo administration, it was a one-time deal. And when you want it to be a one-time deal because we knew that food insecurity had long lasting repercussions that were only gonna get worse during COVID. And we weren't free of this, of this pandemic and we were still not. And so we moved first to include $50 million into the budget and um, that money's there, but we now wanna make sure that the program and the structure and the studies that we're asking, because we also want research on what worked, what didn't work and how do we improve um, the capacity of these food pantries so that we have a better system of 
uh, healthy food coming from upstate New York to help our farmers into downstate and, and frankly all around the state into the food pantries. And so those are the main pieces of the bill um, under uh, the Cuomo administration, they were giving us a lot of um, a lot of pushback on, on signing the bill. Um, uh, part of me thinks that it's because um, there is some some uh, possible uh, financial repercussion attached to the study. Part of me thinks it's because the glory wasn't not going to go to him anymore, and we all know how that would go. But I think under the Holko administration, the conversations have been uh, very productive in trying to determine how do we get it signed. I firmly believe, especially given that the governor is from uh, farmland New York, you know, up there in, in, in that in, in the Buffalo area, in that part of our state, that she is as understanding as we are. Um, then this isn't just about feeding our community, but this is about the livelihood of farmers who frankly were really hard hit and still need our help. So I think we'll get there. Um, and, and I'm just hopeful that it'll be signed uh, soon. My other bill is, is one that, that I didn't realize, I have to be honest, when I first took it, how emotionally impactful it was going to be on me as a person. But this isn't about me. This is about the almost 2 million people and families that it's going to go help. And when you commit a crime or when you are found guilty, because we all know that sometimes innocent people go to jail, you go and you pay your time. And you are told by society that after you do that, you're supposed to be rehabilitated. You're supposed to come out and you'll be given a second chance at remaking your life. But we all know that in practice, that's not true. Because what often happens is once you have paid your dues to society, you come out of prison and you have a dark cloud. And sometimes that cloud can be much darker than other times that will interfere with your ability to go to school, with your ability to work, with your ability to get housing, with your ability to rebuild your life with your family. And what my bill does, and I am very proud to carry this bill with um, my colleague, uh, Senator Zellner Myrie, is it gives people in our community a real second chance at life. You've come out of jail, you've paid your dues, a certain amount of time will have to pass depending on the type of crime. And during that time, you basically are showing that you are a good contributing member of our community and you're able to show that you're moving forward. And then after that, your record will disappear. Your record will only be accessible for those who really should only be looking at it, which is the folks in the criminal justice system, meaning the judges, the um, district attorneys, but it's not gonna be available for people like you and I to look at. For a landlord to look at and be able to discriminate against someone who has a good job, who can pay their rent, but happens to have a certain type of criminal record. Mm -hmm. And so we were almost, there last year, well, in that session, it almost feels like in COVID, in COVID years, right. it almost feels like it was last year. We were very, very close last session and we ran out of time. And we're hoping now with, uh, I think we're close to 45 sponsoring members of the assembly and a really nice uh, amount as well as of senators in, 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 our, um, in our neighboring house in the legislature. 
our leadership is still committed, our advocates are still committed, but the most important part is that family is still needed. So I'm making that uh, one of my top priorities for making for making it into an actual law in our state for our next session. And this is something that um, Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty is supportive of. Yes, the, the clean slate bill. You know, He's, as a, he yeah, said yeah. it to me several times. You know, mm -hmm. we've talked about it. He understands that. This is about the lives of New Yorkers having a real chance at, at improving. You know, we want, we want people to, we tell people all the time, get a job, be a good member of our community, but then they make a mistake. They go to jail, they pay their dues and they come out and they can't get a job. They can't become mm -hmm. contributing members of our community. And so we wonder sometimes why there's recidivism. It's because people can't get a job. Mm -hmm. And so with this, we're hoping that that can all change. And, and we urge people who are listening uh, to find out if your local state legislator is sponsoring the bill. It's called Clean right. Slate. And if they're not, give them a call, tweet at them, get them to sign on. Okay. Uh, we're talking here with New York State Assemblymember Catalina Cruz of Queens. Last couple questions uh, for you. One is um, the Assembly Judiciary Committee uh, was looking at an impeachment uh, process against former Governor Andrew Cuomo that was um, stopped, put on hold, uh, tr transferred into a new phase when the governor resigned. But the Judiciary Committee is still working on a report. Do you have a sense of when we will see that and, and general the gist of what it will include? I think um, it's going to include uh, factual statements and, and an assessment of what those facts are. Um, and those are based on, as you know, we've received some of the same information that um, Tish James's, the, the Attorney General's report had. We also conducted many of our, our lawyers conducted many of our own interviews um, under subpoena. We uh, received many of our own independent sets of, of documents. Um, and so it's going to be an analysis of that and in, in a statement of, of, of what that all means. I don't have a date yet, but I suspect that we are not looking um, to extend is beyond a couple of weeks, maybe a month or two, because I think people want to know. People want to hear what what it's what's in in that evidence, what's in that report. It seems to me that uh, beyond the topics dealt with in the attorney general's report, sexual harassment, assault, uh, toxic workplace, the the biggest things potentially to really to look for in this report relate to, for example, the use of the misuse of state resources on the book. Uh, things related to the nursing home issue. Is, is that accurate to say that we're probably looking at more new information in those areas than we've seen because the attorney general didn't release, you know, sh she might still be looking at some of those issues, but didn't really release anything on those topics. Um, I suspect that that's going to be more or less what, what, what you're saying, um, that we'll be covering those additional uh, topics of information. Um, look, I think I, I, since we were on that topic, I also want to kind of address that elephant in the room um, that um, uh, I don't even know. I don't think it's an elephant anymore. Um, you know, the governor's impl implying that, um, that this has all been some sort of uh, political um, uh, attack on him and his character, um, that, this, that this is some sort of um, war against him and his character. It, it's not. 
This is a war against corruption in Albany. This is a war against corruption in government. This is a war against sexual harassment of staff. You know, this is how government should be. And, and, and I think, um, as I said publicly, I wanted the impeachment investigation to move forward, uh, but I am one of several members and a decision was made and we're going to have a report. And I think um, I have the utmost respect for our chairman, for our uh, speaker and for the lawyers who uh, were conducting this work. And, um, and let me tell you, I don't, I have yet to meet um, the, the first lawyer on that team this strikes me as someone who would be much more interested in using this as a political uh, chess piece rather than an actual fact-finding mission. Mm -hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, we'll be we'll be looking forward to seeing the details there. Um, all right. We'll we'll leave it there. We have a lot more we could get to, but uh, we, we appreciate the time, Assemblymember Catalina Cruz. Thanks very much for joining me. We'll talk with you more down the road. I think a number of things here that. Um, We'll be interested in hearing more about. So we'll talk with you again soon, but thanks for the time. Thank you for having me, Ben.